0: Today, I will be concluding this series on re-envisioning discipleship. Just as a short summary, I would like to remind you what we spoke on this past four weeks. So the first part, we spoke about understanding the, the times. And I believe that is important for us to understand the culture, the time that we are living in. And then we spoke in part two about discipleship lesson from captivity. How we can stand in our faith, even in a different culture where we are encouraged to do things ungodly. Then in part three, we spoke about learning Christ and to live a life worth of our call. Uh, to allow the life of Christ to be in us and understanding that it's through his presence that we can carry the life of a disciple. And then in part four, last week, Pastor Ryan spoke about the mark of a true disciple. And uh, we uh, went to Romans chapter 12 and we noticed how this starts with uh, in transforming our mind, but also living practically uh, our life together. And today, uh, with God's help, we speak about discipleship happens together. We'll be reading from the book of Acts, chapter 2, verse 40 to 47. As usually do, I read it from the English Standard Version Bible. Book of Acts, chapter 2, from verse 40 to 47. And may the Lord continue to bless His word to our hearts. And with many other words... As Peter, the speaking here, is referring to, he bore witness and continued to exhort them, saying, save yourselves from this crooked generation. So those who received his word were baptized. And there were added that day about 3,000 souls. And they devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching and the fellowship, to the breaking of bread and the prayers. they received their food with glad and generous hearts, praising God and having favor with all the people. And the Lord added it to their number day by day, those who were being saved. Praise God for His Word. Praise God for this passage of the Scriptures. You see, our text gives us a picture of the early church before it was formalized and structured. And I believe that in all of this, we can see also that God starts something and He will bring it to accomplishment through the centuries. We still have the Word of God that speaks to us. We still have the Holy Spirit speaking to us. So that church that was in Jerusalem at the beginning of his, of his life is still the same church that God planted and indeed and projected for us today in 2019. I strongly believe that. You see, those first believers were radically baptized into a new community of people. The ecclesia, that's the Greek word that describes the church. The ecclesia, that means they called out. Those people were called out to follow Jesus in a new way. This call touched every aspect of their daily life. The Spirit of God was guiding them into a new community that radically shook up the city of Jerusalem. And my desire, my brothers and sisters, is that the Spirit of God will continue to shook up the city of Montreal because of the church, the presence of believers empowered by the Holy Spirit, willing to follow radically Jesus Christ. That's our desire. And we should aim for that. Because if we don't believe that the gospel is the power of God, even for today, we will be already defeated. And one of the weapons that the enemy brings in the heart of believers is intimidation. Have some doubts to proclaim the gospel to other people because we don't think they will listen to us. But you know, there was a same atmosphere in Jerusalem. The message that Peter gave is a strong message. I will say that was a provocative message because this text that we read begins with a strong exhortation. Verse 40 says, And with many other words he bore witness and continued to exhort them, saying, Save yourselves from this crooked generation. In other words, he said, you now received the Spirit of God. You heard the gospel. You received the Spirit of God. Now your lives must change. You must look different from this crooked generation. Salve yourself from it. What is the name of uh, of the church? Ecclesia, called out. There is a work that we need to rely on Jesus. Because we cannot be saved on our own. But also, there is a work that we need to do in our own. It's the work of the faith, the labor of faith that we need to have. I don't want to be negative here, but as I've been clear in this series, the church of Jesus doesn't need to seek to win the approval of a sick and dying culture. We have something better to offer to them, and it's the gospel, it's the power of God. That following Jesus is the only way that is the truth, is the life. And I pray this morning that the Holy Spirit will imprint in our hearts the joy of the gospel of Jesus Christ. You see, there are values which transcend time and places. I was saying before that the church of Jesus Christ in the early years was different and not structures that maybe as we have today. But there are values that are always present. And I believe that Acts chapter 2 defined those traits, those values values that need to be present even in our church. The Spirit brought them into a new community with new values and habits and rhythms of life. It was a community of faith living as God created them to live. We can see this dynamics of the community life in chapter 2, verse 42. And they devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching and the fellowship to the breaking of bread and prayers. These are very clear elements of the life together. And we could spend weeks uh, trying to dissecting these elements. But today I will focus more on the life together. What it means being together. And believe in me, as we read these things and we uh, uh, speak about these things that I we're able to do it, uh, we are challenged. I was challenged as I was preparing this message. Because I understand and I'm recognizing that I, I am not 100% reflecting those passages of the Bible. And I need God's compassion and grace to mature in my walk with God. And I pray that you examine yourself in the same way. First of all, let's see what these believers did. The believers were not just the casual partners. What began with their initial obedience to the gospel was continued by their belief and practice to the apostles' doctrine and teaching. There was a moment that they started the walk with God by they container. They were not discouraged by the opposition of the people that were leading religion on that time in Jerusalem. And we read, and they devoted themselves. They didn't just wait for something special to happen. They didn't wait for a sickness to come, to devote themselves to the teaching of the apostles. They didn't wait for a crisis in their job to come so they can pray more. They were proactive. They followed. The teachings. They followed the doctrine of the apostles. And this was changing their mindset. You see, they continue what they started. Obedience to Christ. Since day one. Obedience to Christ. This was the pattern. And we can see that not only on Jerusalem, but also when Barnabas went to preach the gospel in Antioch where there was a revival to do the persecution. Some of the people that were in Jerusalem were forced to leave Jerusalem and go in Antioch. And then the gospel brought such a blessing in those believers. And the church, the leaders, sent Barnabas to teach them the gospel. And when Barnabas got there, he told them, he exhorted them to... Remain faithful to the Lord with steadfast purpose. So Barnabas encouraged them. Continue. Stay firm in the faith. Learn. And then later on, Paul and Barnabas, that became company partners in leadership and ministry, went in Antioch, in Pisidia, another Antioch, and... Admonish people to continue in the grace of God. You can read this in chapter 13, verse 43. And then this follow up other city like Lystra, Iconium, and Antioch of Syria were exhorted to continue in the faith. So there was a progressive work of the church in different cities, but a pattern was the same. You started, you continue to grow. There is no stagnation. And brothers and sisters, we have to be careful not to become stagnant in the knowledge of Jesus Christ. And those people, they were growing. But how they were growing? In order to continue their faith, they would need actually to be together. They were together. I believe today we are losing this important truth in our digital age. Thanks to Facebook today or other social media, we no longer <laughs> have the need to be with one another, to be connected. And I'm very appreciative for those ministries that work online. But I don't find anywhere in the Bible e church, meaning that community that will meet on the, on the web. The early church was meeting together. They will need to once in a while I give you some elbows on the side, on the front, on the side. Just to grow together, to experience life together. You know, I believe that our fascination with the technology is severely hindering our desire and ability to actually be together. And I'm not against the technology, please. Understand that. Our phones have made our life more easier than ever. <laughs> they give us guidance. The other day, I was looking at uh, Google Maps, uh, construction sites in, in, uh, in Montreal. And all the island of uh, uh, Montreal was very visible because of all the flags that I wear for the construction. Thank God for the GPS that I have in my phone when uh, I see a detour of the detour of the detour. <laughs> But there is a payoff on that. And I'm talking about also about social media and testing and everything. We need to wake up and to see what technology is doing to us. Separation, alienation. There are books. Sociologists are writing books on the effect of technology in our lives today. One thing is already Abundantly clear Technology is making us more lonely than never We may have thousands of people or friends on Facebook But let's be honest. How many of them are meaningful to you? How many of them you are able to call and interact? And let's be honest also on Facebook social media, we put things that are the best of ourselves. <laughs> the best vacations, the best car, the best dress. We portray something that is not real. But growing as disciples of Jesus Christ implies real life. This is what the early church did. You know, as a Martha Siri, for those who don't know, Siri is the... Um, Vocal aid of the Apple system, or Alexa for Amazon, or Google Assistant for Google. You know, those people, they don't know you, or they think they know you. But really, they cannot love you. They cannot discipline you. They cannot exhort you, encourage you. Don't rely on technology. We should employ the technology that is available to us. But we should also remember that it is limited. That we need to be together. And I have a wonderful application on this. You know, while I was preparing, I was saying, if the apostles today were living in our time, what did we do? In my mind, it came to one apostle. One that wrote the different books in the Bible. John. John wrote three epistles. The first, second, third, he wrote the gospel of John, and he wrote the book of Revelation. And it's interesting. I find that verse very, very interesting. When he writes it to Second John in the second letter, in verse 12, he says something very important. That really touched me, caught my attention. John says, though I have much to write you, I would rather not use paper and ink. You see, paper and ink was the technology that it was able to use in those times. Paper and ink was the highest level of technology in those times. Think of a moment. They were using perchments to write. They didn't have a pen like we have it today. It was complicated. So, writing with ink and paper was the best technology available in its time. And he used it. But... There is a but. But instead, I hope to come to you and talk face to face. John was looking forward, though he wrote to those believers, to see them face to face, so that our joy may be complete. Yes, I'm writing to you. I'm using technology. But when I see you, what a joy In my heart, my joy is completely to hug you, to share my life with you. And praise the Lord for that. Praise the Lord that today we need to understand that true discipleship comes when we are together in the Lord. When we are sharing moments of communion. I don't want to under on technology today because I use technology. I want to make clear on that. But maybe you know and you read what I've been reading le- recently in different uh, articles. That the founder of Microsoft Corporation, Bill Gates, and his wife Melinda Gates never allowed their own children to use technology. What about Mark Elliott Zuckerberg and his wife Priscilla? They banned social media from their own children. You know why? Because they knew the, the damage that. That's it's just a reflection. I'll leave it to you. You deal with that. My point is this. How sad it would be if we let our phones or technology or social media, whatever you want to call, Ruin our family and our marriage because we don't live life together anymore. What about if a church will be more meaningful to spend hours on Facebook and look to other stuff that are not important or relevant for our lives. And we spend time in the church. And we spend time with other believers that can encourage and pray for us. What about if a family relationship are strengthened by being together, by discussing together. I remember, and I use this as a testimony, when I was in Bible school, and we struggled a lot at the beginning. So there was some fights. And I remember once the director called us during the chapel service and said, you know, as much this is very difficult for me to see you fighting, I believe that is very necessary. Because as you struggle with each other, you remove all those ages that are very difficult to manage. And he brought the example of the rocks that are in the bed of a river. You ever seen taking a, a rock from the bed of a river? There is not very sharp sages in those rocks. You know why? Because of the pressure of the water, the flow of the water, the current, smashes those rocks together until all the sharp sage are being rounded and removed. The church life sometimes it can be very nasty. Let's be honest. But if we love God and we love to be His church we work together in difficulties. We sharp one another. The Bible says iron sharps iron. And we become to the point that even if we Smashed together, we don't hurt each other anymore. Let's be together, in attending church, in studying the word, in praising God together. Once a week is not enough, my brothers and sisters. I know that we all live this life, and sometimes I will ask myself, if it was not a pastor, Would I have been able to do whatever I'm doing? Or would it have been easy for me to be in church when meetings are called? And I have to answer sometimes, not really. But you know, one other weapon that the enemy tries is to bring business in our life. Not business as a work or trade, but as a being occupied. Sorry, my pronunciation sometimes is not the best. <laughs> and I thank you for your patience. Do you understand what I'm trying to say? We remove ourselves from the time that we can spend together. Because the second point I want to show to you is that the believers minister to each other. You cannot minister to one another if you are not sharing your life. They actually began to their lives together. In chapter 4, Luke says that a full number of all who believe were of one heart and one soul. And I'm wondering, the church of Jerusalem in the early stage, most probably was around 5,000 people. Can you imagine 5,000 people all together? How they can connect to one another? How can they minister to one another? The Bible says that they put all things in common. They were in a genuine fellowship. They shared this stuff. And the truth is that we are more willing to share our burdens and spiritual gifts with one another when we know each other, when we share one another. Is there the true sharing happen? Yes, today it seems that we struggle with sharing. We expect to have what you need. You don't need to share with other people or receive from others sharing with you. Gone are those days on the early technology where in the family there was only one TV. Not even remote control. Remember those days? And what about when you were connected with internet and you have to use the one line that you have at home. (laughs) And your dad needs the line. (laughs) Remember those days? There's no time anymore for sharing. You know, in your own phone, today you carry your own office. You have emails, text, or whatever you want, you have internet connection and everything. You need to have whatever you want at the time that you want. Notice that even to come together to share is becoming difficult. Luke wants us to see that the New Covenant community was impacting their city with their generosity. The early church was a community of generous people. When they saw a need, they satisfied the need. Once again, this will be extremely difficult in a consumer society. We have been trained to find our identity On our possession. On what we have. Yet the psalmist says. In Psalm 62 verse 10. The last part of this verse. If riches increase. Set not your heart on them. If the Lord blesses. Let's not put our hearts on them. And again the Bible is not against being rich. If the Lord blesses with riches. Praise God. But use whatever you have to bless other people. Share with others. Don't keep it for yourself. You know, today we live in a mantra uh, motto that we have. I shop, I am. If I don't shop, I have no meaning. But if I shop, I have meaning. If I have the last model of my car, if I have the last fashion clothes, if I have the last uh, uh, whatever, then I have a significance. I'm shopping, I am. But the Bible doesn't say that. As a church, we must do better. If we get to choose everything for ourselves and share nothing, our church life will be very difficult. Let's be sensitive to the need that we have to one another. Could be this possible with everybody? will be sometimes difficult. But at least let's be creative in finding a way where we can be generous with each other. And I'm very grateful for the generous people that we have in this church. I'm very thankful. We have people that are very generous in this church. That they give sacrificially for the work of the Lord, but also for individual needs. And um, I know that that you want to be identified. But I'm so grateful when somebody knocks to my door. And say, Pastor, please, I don't want that person knows. But this envelope, can you give it to the brother? Can you give it to the sister? That's really touched my heart. Because it's an expression of the generosity of God in our midst. And you know, when we have the big gift, it brings joy to my heart when we can impact our community, blessing others. Yes, there are people that take advantage of these things. We know very well. We know already some characters have been coming just to take advantage of our stuff. But what a joy there is when you see people need, that are satisfied, that are encouraged. Oh, somebody cared for me. Let's be generous. The early church used their possessions to bless others. And if I look in chapter 2, verse 45, it says, and they were selling their possessions and belongs and distributing the proceeds to all as any had need. Now, let me clarify something here. We shouldn't think that the Jerusalem real estate was uh, overbooked, market was flooded with homes to sell in that moment. No, that's not what the Bible said. Because we read that they met in their homes. Right, so it means that it's still owned the houses. So, what the Bible is saying here that they don't hold on what they had. They were willing to give to others, to share, because they understood the principle that whatever they had it was a blessing from the Lord. That if they had something, it's because the Lord blessed them, and whatever the Lord was giving to them, it was an opportunity for giving to others. I believe that remember the words of Jesus that there is more joy in giving than to receive. And there is joy when we give. This was not communism. And when I was following Marxism, oh, this passage was the best for me. I was going to my father and say, you see the church was communist. And my father with a lot of patience said, the church was not communist. The communist is uh, obliging you to require from you that whatever is yours becomes to everybody. It's an imposition. The church was giving willingly. No one from the apostles say, oh, you have to do this. They were giving generously because they understood that they received the best blessing on the world. That they received Jesus Christ. The learning from their master that he gave himself, the learning from God that so loved the world that he gave his begotten son. This concept is unpacked in chapter 4, verse 32 to 35, where we read, Now the full number of those believed were of one heart and soul, and no one said that any of the things that belonged to him was his own. But they had everything in common, and with great power the apostles were giving their testimony to the resurrection of the Lord Jesus, and great grace was upon them all. There was not a needy person among them, for as many as were owners of lands or houses sold them and brought them the proceed of what was sold, and laid it at the apostles' feet, and it was distributed to each as any had need. I'm not sure if you noticed, but this giving enabled the testimony and the teaching of the apostle about Jesus' resurrection. It seems that that generosity helped the church to transmit the gospel of Jesus Christ. And you know, brothers and sisters, we have in this society today the idea that churches are just asking money from those who are attending the church. They need to reflect that we are not asking money. It's the spirit of God that forces us to be generous. I like to repeat often here from this pulpit, when we have the offering uh, being collected, "We are not interested to your money. We are interested to your soul. Because if the Lord has your heart, He has also your wallet. If the Lord has not your heart, I can tell you you have to give for the Lord. You have to do this. It will be valued zero before the Lord. It's a question of heart. The matter is on the heart. No one imposed to give, but they were giving. They understood that it was such a, a blessing to be together. This is my last point. This was a community life. And community is not an option in the work of the discipleship. The early leadership had this dilemma. How we can disciple those people? The church had this influx of 3,000 people in one day. Can you imagine if we have 3,000 people in our day? How we can disciple them? We read that they were meeting in the temple, but also in their homes, in small gatherings. There was only one place where 5,000 people could stay. It wasn't in the temple court. But also, it was much easier to connect in the homes with small gatherings. And uh, it's interesting, in the Old New Testament, that we find more than 50 times the encouragement to minister to one another love one another, pray for one another, encourage one another, support one another, bear each other's burdens, confess your sins to one another, the list will continue on. So how they can do this kind of ministry in small gatherings, small groups, today we'll say. You see, God called us to connect with other believers. The life of the believer is not isolation is connection with other believers. You must be connected. You must be tied to other people where you can be taught about the Word of God. And although the culture drifts more and more towards individualism, towards being separated by others, the church has the responsibility to disciple people in the life together, in being together. And that's why our church believes strongly, the leadership, the small groups, though is not the magic solution for discipleship, is a wonderful venue where you can meet and where you can give your gifts. You receive from others and you give it to others. There is a sharing. There is a life together. There is a mutual accountability that comes to. And this is the life together that God wants us to have. And our vision is very simple. Reflects the vision of Furview, the general vision of the church. Connect to God. Connect to one another. Connect to the community. While you are part of a small group, and that's what we encourage you, to you uh, do to do, you will be connected with other believers. Let's be honest. We cannot know each other. If I look here in this sanctuary right now, I don't think we all know each other very deeply. I have to be honest. Some of you, I don't even know the name uh, that I see presently here. Maybe you are visiting us for the first time. But when you are connected to a small gathering, a small group will give you the opportunity to connect deeply and to be accountable to one another and to grow spiritually. I want to be clear on this. Small groups doesn't make discipleship. Only disciples make other disciples. But small groups could be a venue where you can grow and you can mature. You see, today maybe my sermon writes some questions to you. And uh, you cannot stop and say, Pastor, can I ask you this question today? But in a small group setting, you can ask questions. Other people can give you more clarification. There is an interaction. And what does a small group look like? Is a moment where we can fellowship together. We can learn to encourage one another. We can study the Bible. We can pray together. And also we can be taught to develop our gifts. Because our goal is not to be standing in one small group. But to multiply those small groups. It's like a gymnasium where your spiritual strength is trained. And it's a place where you can discover your strength. And maybe... From those small groups together in harmony with other ministries that we have in the church. We can encourage the member of the small groups to be part of other ministries. And grow together. Being connected with the larger body of Christ. So my brothers and sisters, I want to encourage you to be connected with the small groups. We started last year. We had a good number. We are not satisfied with that. We want to see more and more people being connected together in small groups and more leaders being developed by God's grace. So I'm really excited for the opportunity that we have to connect with a small group. And before I close this sermon, I want to call one person that was part of a small group last year. And there's a relatively new in the faith. And I want to hear what she has to say. Sonia, can you come forward, please? And share what the Lord did through you with the small groups.
1: When I heard about the small groups, I was hesitating a bit because um, I wasn't sure about my schedule if I was able to commit to the group and be there a certain day, a certain time. And we gave it a try the first time. And uh, we, as a group, we loved it so much that we were not able to miss once. Even if it was raining, it was snowing and cold, and whatever happened, we have clients, we changed that day specifically to stay there and be together that day. And um, so when uh, Rocco uh, asked me to come and and testify, I sent a text to my group and I asked them to uh, give me some feedback. And uh, we all got the same thing. Um, and the most important thing was like the great fellowship that we have uh, together at that time it 's like we are like a small family and we pray for each other we pray for others we um, encourage one another all the time because we all have troubles and sometimes we have a heavy week and things are happening and and also the most important thing like for me as a young and faithful when I read the Bible uh, I read the scriptures, and sometimes I read it once, I don't understand. I read it again, I don't understand. It's uh, like a 3D book. I don't know if you've ever seen a 3D book. Sometimes you look at it, and you see these beautiful colors, and you don't see anything. And then when you really focus on it, and you see that image coming out, it's like, wow, now I can see it. And that's exactly what happens when we're together with our leaders. So we go through the scriptures together, and uh, we break it down, we... we talk together, and and it's incredible. So this it speaks to you, and uh, it's it, it helps you in, in every way. It's just a, a very, very good feeling. And we even heard about uh, the summer that we had to stop for a while, and everybody was like, no, let's continue, let's continue through the summer, so everybody was, you know... Anyways, this is, um, it's it's a real, it's like a, a therapy for your soul. And I think we all need that. It's a great thing to do. And I, if you're not in a small group, I encourage you to do so. Uh, find a group and and join them. And it's, it's a great blessing, really. And uh, on behalf of the group, we'd like to thank Matab for the great hospitality. It's so sweet to open your doors for us. And also, we'd like to thank George and Rocco for their time and... Their dedication and their patience because we ask thousands of questions and they're always happy to answer us. And uh, it's it's just a blessing, really. Uh, I'd like to thank you for that. Thank you.
0: Amen. Thank you, you, Sonia. Praise the Lord. I want to get really, very practical today. Sometimes as a preacher, we teach good things, uh, theology or doctrine. That has a very hard time to be applied in our daily lives. I believe that churches. Sometimes fail in affirming. That following Jesus. Being a disciple of Jesus Christ. Requires commitment. And sacrifice. Honestly. I don't want to be one of those pastors. Fearful to touch. Some uh, Weak spots in people's life that can bring them to another church. I truly am grateful for your presence here. But your presence here does intimidate you to preach the integrity of the gospel of Jesus Christ. And tell you that you must continue to grow. Doesn't matter if you have one week that you are in church. Or you have 50 years. You need to continue to grow in the ways of the Lord. Discipleship means being able to grow in the knowledge of Jesus Christ. Never stop in growing and pursuing the life of Jesus. That is a life of surrendering, a life of self-denying, a life of giving all to Jesus. And if I hurt your feelings, I'm sorry, but I'm not apologetic on that. We need to take our cross. And our cross is not a trial that we have, but it's the message. What the gospel of Jesus Christ, what the gospel entitles in following Jesus. And I pray this morning that as we examine the life together of the church, we can grow spiritually. And we commit ourselves as those believers did. Amen.